0: Welcome to Put Your Heart
1: Into It, the HVC podcast centered around educating providers and staff about common clinical scenarios so that we can better treat our patients. Podcasts on this account are meant for educational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical diagnoses or advice. If you have any clinical symptoms or medical questions, please consult a licensed healthcare provider. Let's get started on this month's podcast.
0: So we're going to continue the podcast with uh, Dr. Winston. This is part part two. Um, quick question, Dan: Like, what patients? You know, there's no rel- there's no absolute contraindication for, say, bypass surgery. But what what type of patients can you not help? Should we say, hey, get a high risk PCI done?
1: Sure. Great question. The the ones that we are very cautious of are patients with severe or end stage COPD. These are patients who we have, we really struggle getting them off the ventilator and getting the uh, pulmonary rehab going. So those are patients, when I see a patient that comes in for bypass surgery and they have just very poor lung function, uh, they're de- you can tell by looking at these patients, they're debilitated, they may be on HOMO2. We're very cautious in this population uh, because the, the, the there's a significant risk of respiratory complications after surgery. You know, we've gotten more aggressive as, as, as I've gotten older and, and as, as cardiac surgery has evolved, patients with preoperenal disease, these, 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 people have done very, very well. Uh, even, even with a heart lung machine with bypass surgery, because we're able to maintain their blood pressure. We're very conscientious of not lowering their blood pressure too much, keeping their kidneys well perfused. So th- that patient population, we, we, we're fairly aggressive with, as far as heart function, overall cardiac function. Again, as I've gotten older and more experienced, I've, I'm amazed with what we can get away with. We we operate on patients with a, with ejection fractions of 15 to 20 percent, as long as they're, I mean, a, a chronic and not acute. Mm. Um, I think I think you know it, it goes along with anything we do. If you see a patient that for for surgery that is debilitated and they're they're non-functional and their their quality of life is already poor. Those are patients we don't want to operate on. We're not going to help those folks. And they're only going to make their, their life miserable uh, recovering from a huge operation. It's not that we can't get them through the surgery, but I'll always say it's the challenge after the surgery. So I'm very conscientious of patients who come in that are debilitated and they're not very functional and they're not very viable and they're not very active. Those are the patients that I'm I'm, I'm very sensitive to what is the best form of treatment for um you know we're, we're 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 conscientious of carotid disease we we very we try to screen these folks uh if indicated um but those those are really the main ones i think that the biggest one that concerns me the most is the copd the end stage copd
0: absolutely yeah yeah i think the renal patients seem to do better i mean if they're sort of creatinine's like stage 4 stage 5 they you know, there's a fair chance they might've ended up on dialysis, but I see some people getting dialysis post, post post-op or even post catheter for that matter too. And then they come off after a few weeks and that's great, you know, or before they leave the hospital, they keep, they, they start urinating and they do okay. Um, definitely. What, what about operating on people like, like on, you know, the, the, the anticoagulants, you know, probably except for Coumadin, obviously it's reversible. The other ones, fairly short half-life, but what about the Berlintas, the Effience, the Plavix is when you really, you know, you can't wait type of thing for the surgery, you know, what's your rationale for that? Sure.
1: So that's a great, another great question. I mean, those are, those are things we deal with on an everyday basis. So you'd really be surprised uh, the percentage of patients and, and that are out there that are non-responders to Plavix. So the patient comes in on Plavix, we will, we will routinely check a PFA, a platelet function assay on these patients. And if they're even close to, to our cutoff, which usually is around, um, and I I don't, I'm not familiar with the units, but we say, you know, 170, we will proceed with an operation. Even, even in the high 160s, we'll proceed. Um, if they're, if they're, if they're responders, if they're PFAs in the 20s or 30s, which we had a patient earlier this week in the 20s and 30s, obviously we want to try to wait, um, if they're stable, um, and and stable meaning uh, uh, no chest pain on heparin drip and and we're comfortable watching these folks and then we'll wait about five days or recheck a PFA and then ultimately operate on them. Our goal is to obviously do heart surgery without any blood transfusion or any platelet transfusions. The patients on Berlenta, as you're aware, are always responders. So we're we're very conscientious on a patient with Berlenta, especially to get Berlenta loaded. We'll usually wait about three days um uh three or four days before operating on those folks um but it, it all depends on the patient you know if a patient's having chest pain and we're not able to control that medically with either heparin nitroglycerin or a balloon pump then we're going to be forced to do it and that's the that's the, the game that we play and if we if we do end up operating on somebody who who is on on uh, uh dual antiplatelet therapy or or aggressive blood thinners then we're, we prepare for that by by uh ordering platelets and ordering uh, usually, uh, you know, possibly FFP for these patients postoperatively.
0: We, we had, you know, I think I, I had mentioned, we're just seeing a lot of aortic disease, like ascending aortic disease, aortic root dilation. I don't know if it's the genetics or just hypertension, more salt in the diet, just finding it on just like routine, almost screening echoes for some other indication, you know, and, um, you know, I, I I know we're using aortic index, um, trying to not always refer these people, but when do you want to see these patients? And and I don't know, maybe talk about the difference between the aorta and the aortic root, please.
1: a good, good question. So when I was in Gainesville, I had a very large patient population of aortic disease. And um, a friend of mine that, that worked in South Florida Taught me that at a very young age when I started my career. So, as you're aware, we are seeing more and more aortic disease, and I agree. We no one really knows what the etiology of that. And I, I would I would say I would agree with you on the the hypertension because the genetic component of of aortic disease is a very very small percentage of patients. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you and I have discussed. Uh, just for the population and for clinicians out there, anybody with with, with bicuspid aortic valve disease, there is a, a very significant association with what we call aortopathy. So, these patients need to be followed very closely uh, throughout their life to make sure that they do not develop an aneurysm, okay? But what we do is let's say, a routine patient that comes to my office with aortic disease, and I actually want to, you did ask the question, when do I want to see these? We want to see these patients earlier than later, okay? And we put them in our clinic, and we monitor them very closely. We let you guys monitor monitor and manage their blood pressure, and we will communicate with you all, Um, but these patients need to be seen Probably they do need to be seen by a surgeon on a routine basis. And what I mean by routine basis is usually every six months for some folks and every year for some folks. And we get a CT scan and we measure the diameter of the aorta at the level of the pulmonary artery, the right pulmonary artery. That's kind of our, our measurement area. And we factor in the patient's age. We fact, I mean, the fact, We factor in the patient's height and weight along with that diameter. And we come up with this risk ratio called the Roman risk. Okay. And there's there are certain levels that we don't need to get in today but when it gets in the gray zone or the 1.5 zone those are those are patients that we need to be a little bit more aggressive and operate on those folks to try to prevent any further dilatation or rupture or dissection then obviously we factor in genetics we factor in family history we factor in valvular disease do they have aortic insufficiency um, I saw a, a young female in the office today that I, we scheduled for surgery, and we're actually going to repair her aortic valve. She has a, an aortic insufficiency. We're going to repair, we're going to repair her aortic valve and replace her ascending aorta for her aneurysm. So down the road, she won't need to have a valve replaced, and she won't be dealing with this aneurysm problem. We're going to go ahead and repair her valve now. But to answer, to make, to summarize on that question, we'd like to see these these folks early. Anybody, in my opinion, over 4, 4.2 centimeters need to be seen by a surgeon. They need to be put into a clinic. They need to be Blood pressure needs to be monitored very closely. They need to have the discussion that this is something that we need to see and, 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 and monitor them every six months to a year with routine CT scans. And you want to, be, you want to compare apples to apples. As you and I are both uh, aware of, we can't be looking at an echo and comparing that to a CT scan, and we can't be looking at a CT scan um uh, and comparing that to an mri they need you need to have the consistent measurement at the same location and with the same modality
0: so you really prefer ct scan oh yes okay because i was i mean even in my practice i think i usually when i first detected a guy to ct scan and the echo of it's relatively the same size within point one, point two, and it's not obviously too big I, i just get an echo every year um, and, um, yeah, the, you know, I guess it could be the, more problem,
1: yeah, the problem, the problem, the, the echo oftentimes, and I'll just, this is my opinion. This is just my opinion. The, ep- oftentimes the echo, in my opinion, overestimates things and you're only, you can't get a good visualization of the entire aorta. You want to look at the ascending aorta all the way up to the arch vessels. You want to involve the transverse arch. You really want to get a thorough evaluation. And the nice thing about a CT scan is it's not an MRI. It's quick for the patient oftentimes you can get a non-contrast CT. If we get into the into the range where we start to worry about the size of the aorta, then we'll go ahead and get contrast involved in the aorta, but it's very quick and easy for the patient. And it's something we can, can continue to measure that diameter directly at that pulmonary artery.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's because, you know, we're seeing so many more calcium scores and a lot are picked up with that too, I, I should mention. And um, it seems sometimes it overreads it and then we... End up getting a um a cta and it's with contrast and it's sometimes not as big but um uh, correct I, I, think, I think that this is a a huge a huge growing problem like a sort of like atrial fibrillation i'm finding new ones every day
1: no i would agree with you and I, I'm, I'm like you i don't i don't know what what maybe we're just recognizing it more now but uh maybe it's our diet high blood pressure who knows but i certainly agree with you
0: um that's very helpful. Thank you. Um, I think that'll be helpful for all the you know providers who see these patients. Um, I guess last question is, you know, any um, you know, what can we do to prepare these patients for you guys to see the inpatients and the outpatients anything, you know, I think the films and stuff we can get to you pretty easily using PowerShare, using the packs, um, the echoes from the office. Um, I think our new system will be able to do that, too. But what else? I mean, how do we prepare the patient for you?
1: Sure. I think that's a great, great question. So the one thing that I do have, I do, I do like about the Northside system is I'm able to look at films in Cherokee. I'm able to look at things in Forsyth. um When I can look and see if they've had an echo, I look at their heart catheterization. So, you know, that's obviously one. I think be patient. We're going to get the patient over as fast as possible. We're working on our modes of transportation. We actually had a discussion with a, a with a, a medical transport team yesterday to fly these folks in uh, to to Lawrenceville, um, and and most 99. What we found yesterday is that 99% of patients' insurance, whether it be Medicare or anything, commercial insurance as well, will pay for for a flight. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to be we're going to be utilizing flying these patients because it it does it's not an it's not a significantly added cost to the patient or the hospital. Um, So that's one thing. We're our job from our end is to get the patient over to to Lawrenceville as fast as possible, evaluate the patient and and do the things that we had already talked about. I think as far as getting to, you know, we like we love for the cardiologist and the clinician to be reassuring to the patient, be positive to the patient um, and, and that helps significantly. Um, prepare the patient mentally that everything's going to be okay. They're going to get good care. We're going to take good care of them, and that 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 really would go a long way.
0: We've appreciated also. I mean, you reached out, met our providers. I mean, yes, we're not we're not on the same campus just with the way you know the campuses were on, but I mean, even this I think will help because I think it helps for us to to tell the patient. You know, I know Dr. Winston. I, he's He's gonna do what's best. Yeah, this is scary, but we're gonna get through this together. I I think that's um, really being positive to the patient. I I totally reiterate is so important.
1: Well, I appreciate you saying that because it's important to us. We want to know the providers that are sending to us, and we want to. We want to, as I as I say all the time, I want to take care of patients the way I want my family to be taken care of. I've been, uh, I've had a daughter who's been in the hospital um, a young daughter who's been in the hospital multiple times in the last two to three years. So I've really learned to appreciate sympathy and empathy in healthcare. And, and that's kind of the way I've, as I've, as I've, I've, I try to, to, to emulate that in my, in, the, in my care of patients as well.
0: Well, well, thanks a lot for your time. Um, you know, I think, um, you can be very successful and we're going to have, a, um, you know, I think a great relationship taking care of our patients together. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening. Tune in next time for another cardiology-focused episode.